Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. I see Howard is the first one in to to say hello, and then Sandra from the UK, Howard's in Sorrento, BC. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing in Grace. Uh, It is uh, just after 8 o'clock here in Ontario, Canada, and uh, I've got uh, a treat for you, Um, a conversation, part one of two, with Andre and Marianne Rabe. And uh, I shared this uh, during my Sunday morning messages uh, about a month ago. Um, But I thought this would be really, really awesome for uh, Still Growing Grace because not everybody chimes into Hope Fellowship Sunday morning messages. So uh, because they're a little bit different content often. Um, In my mind, when I do these programs on Wednesday morning, I can go deeper differently than I would on a Sunday morning because Sunday mornings I have a church family I'm speaking with and we got a larger church family around the world now kind of popping in and listening in. But this is about helping a group of folks kind of grow together slowly. So it's it's not about rushing through some pretty fun topics because we can get into some topics here that well, they could be controversial, and that's not safe for a, a general Sunday morning uh, conversation because uh, uh, your audience matters. And I think in this audience, anybody that's wanting to listen to this, you're already hungry for something deeper and more. Um, at least that's how I see it. And so uh, I love having the two options, and uh, it, it's pretty cool. So today, um, what I want to do is uh, share a conversation I had with Andre and Marianne Rabe. If you don't know them yet, you need to. Uh, they're from South Africa, and I uh, love their accents, love their heart. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've known them for many, many years, uh, met them in person once, and hope to have them actually speak here next time they're allowed to come to Canada once our borders open up. Um, so let's just dive right in and listen in. It's not a simple um, sermon. It, it's a conversation. And so you'll get to know them a little bit. You'll catch the tone of their hearts, their attitudes. And uh, I, I just I just love them. I think they're great. And uh I think you'll enjoy this. So let's just dive into part one, and next week we'll do part two, and then we'll come back um, with Richard and Bill. Uh, In two weeks, we're going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira. (laughs) Yep, Um, because we kind of talked about that last week. Last week, uh, it was um, uh, Richard Murray and I were chatting through uh, a pretty good topic that, well, it, it just led to this whole, well, first of all, Moses and Jesus, which is greater, obviously, but that led to false concepts of who we think God is. And honestly, I think that's what growing deeper is about. So I just called today's uh, growing deeper. And so I, I think we can never stop growing deeper. And I hope you'll just continue to go with me. Um, All I'm doing is having conversations and being transparent as we walk through each week. And um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool stuff. So if you guys have topics you want addressed or 
having a having having us have a conversation over uh, private message me and let me know um i'd be interested in hearing where people are at and if the topic fits right now great if it doesn't quite fit well okay great topic but we'll get to it some at some point um that'd be great all right let's dig into the interview i hope you'll enjoy this is about 35 minutes long and then i'll come back on all right. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to introduce everyone to Andre and Marianne Robbie, and I'm going to let them do most of the talking, but I got questions. So um, some of you know who they are. Many of you do not. So I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves. Uh, give me a quick update of your background, where you live, because your accents sound funny to me. I love them. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but please tell me where you're from, where you live right now. I'm assuming you're in one place, but you're going to confirm it for me. Wonderful. Yeah, well, at the moment, um, we live in South Africa, and we are, by the accent, you can tell we actually come from Texas, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so we are born and bred in South Africa, but we have traveled the world. We've lived um, 10 years in England, um, seven years completely on the road, no home, um, no home base. Wow. I think when suitcases. you last saw us, we were still in that process of living out of suitcases. Mm -hmm. Oh, that wow. I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so that's been an adventure. And um Yes, but we are currently in South Africa, and obviously with lockdown as well, mm -hmm. we, we haven't been able to travel over the last year or so, and travel's become a little bit more difficult, but we are so looking forward to getting um, back face-to-face -face with people, um, so many precious people oh, all yes. over that we've met and connected with. Yeah. So Marianne, you write music as well, correct? Like I've heard you play and sing, and it's beautiful. Um, in fact, and, you fit it into the stuff that uh, when you guys are together, I love how you just are naturally sharing your music and teaching. So is that true then? Yeah. You Thank you. Yes. You know, I think from, you know, when I originally started writing music and um, taught myself to play the guitar, it was for me back then, it was an expression of I just wanted to converse and relate what I was discovering in Abba's gaze towards mm. me and his love towards me, I just wanted to reflect that back and, and put into words this relationship. So, you know, a lot of the songs are really just kind of what God believes about you. And, mm. um, and that has just flown so well. I mean, we always just in conversation, it's our life. We, this isn't just, you know, doctrines we believe, yeah. but it's... Um, I remember the first time we, we met, we were, we were just 18, 18 just yeah. turned 18, um, on a mission trip yeah, in <laughs> Africa and uh, fell madly in love. And that one song, we, we, we got married like three months or so after we met. And uh, she wrote this <laughs> song about that so captured our hearts and desire for going. It's your provision inspires our lives, Lord. Yeah, as we give our There's some who hold back what is due to proverb, mm -hmm. and there's others who, who give. And, and so I think that's how our lives mm -hmm. together started. We, we had, at that stage, nothing, <laughs> no income, and very little knowledge, but... I think 
what we did know is that we were loved and that that is the essence Mm -hmm. of what people need to know in order to transform their lives well the message the message today is you're hated by god right the religious world says that That was very much the tradition that we came out of, like a Pentecostal charismatic word where you first had to convince people how how, (laughs) what a horrible future awaits them if they continue in their ways, and then you can hang a carrot in front of them. And I think the verse that we, we probably discussed that verse for a month constantly before we started going was, 2 Corinthians 5.5.18, that God reconciled the world unto himself, not holding the trespasses against them. And now he makes his appeal through us, be reconciled. In other words, whatever issue you think stands between you and God, it's not from God's perspective. It's not because he has a problem. He, he has embraced <laughs> and loved this world. And we thought, well, if that, is, if that is God's attitude, then that should be our message. Just the straight declaration of he likes you, yes. he loves you, he adores you, and that can transform your life. Yeah. Whether you sit in a hut in Africa without anything, if you know you loved, things change. Or whether you sit absolutely frustrated with all your wealth in the Western world, but your life has no purpose or value. But coming to that one conclusion that I am loved, not for what I have or don't have, but because of what God sees in me, an opportunity to unfold himself, an opportunity to live his life through you. Yeah, so that, that's how we began. <laughs> wow. And now what do you do? Like uh, you, you've written some books. If you could just tell me a quick summary of which books you've written. You've just recently written one two years ago, which I don't have and need to get. Um, it, I know one of your books. <laughs> creative chaos and we'll get a link put into the bottom of this uh when when, the, when this airs it'll be it'll be listed for sure yes i know one of your and, books is uh, required reading for a global grace seminary <laughs> that's when i uh, okay. in fact it was not around it was back in that time when i remember some of those books were required reading so that was pretty good and it was good yeah. stuff okay wonderful well um there's probably five or six books oh wow uh, out there, but um, yes, the latest one, Creative Chaos. Is that your favorite? The, that that <laughs> came out just before the pandemic, <laughs> you know, months before. And, and it's amazing how throughout human history, when we face crisis, um, the kind of crisis that breaks down our paradigms, our ideas of how life is supposed to be. It is within those moments of crisis that we often begin to develop stories um, within that chaos. And, uh, And so the book is basically looking at how we have created meaning from the chaos that we faced 
and how often we misinterpreted the events, mm -hmm. we misinterpreted our circumstances. And when we begin from a place of lack and fear, we will always create victims mm -hmm. and scapegoats. And how the, the biblical revelation is starting to question our interpretation of our crisis and our chaos and gives us a new opportunity to reinterpret the chaos in a way that we can bring beauty and meaning and value from it. So that's, that's the idea of that book. I, if, huh, I need to read that. And I, I, you're making me remember now, you actually did a, uh, a very short encouragement video to, I don't know, you posted on your Facebook or wherever it was, and it had to deal with the, with the crisis of COVID and the, the depression and the chaos going on at the moment. I forget what it was, but it was so, so encouraging. I shared it with Hope Fellowship. I shared it with my still growing Grace family. Uh, it was really powerful because it spoke to the heart of, of, of fear. Like we're not to be fearful. Yeah. And right now, I think this, this COVID thing has heightened all the fear that was existent. So it's almost like been the fuel for existent religious fear. Um, so whatever problems were lying under the service in churches or individuals or in relationships, marriages, families, COVID really heightened the awareness of those. And if you didn't deal with them, it was good. It, it was, it's messy. It has been messy for a lot of people. That's what I've seen. What we, yeah. What we typically do as well is we look, we, we cannot understand what this crisis is all about and our frustration builds up to a boiling point. And then we, unfortunately, look for a victim <laughs> we look for somebody to to scapegoat this it's i have a problem there's something going on here and it's not me <laughs> it's you <laughs> and uh, you know that that kind of rears its nasty head <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wow well let's get into some uh, uh history of what your your journey of growth because one thing i've appreciated about you is uh, you don't teach the typical church stuff. <laughs> There's a, a message of hope and grace that has attracted me to the message. And even your style of teaching is it's, it's very gentle. Uh, there are some teachers who are pretty flamboyant and charismatic and, and, uh, and, and that becomes the distraction uh, and you can't hear the message. So I have really loved how you gently share hope, care in an authentic way. So thank you for that. Um, and what, what are you doing now? What, what's, tell me about the school that you're, you're leading and can we get into that maybe just a little bit? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Well, when Marianne and myself, I think it was our first mission trip to America, which mm -hmm. was what? About 2010. Yeah. 2010. At that stage, we, we lived in the UK but we make, made the decision that this is our passion, to, to be with people and to help them make sense of their stories or even more significantly break free from the structures of interpretations and the stories that has kept them captive. And when I speak about the story, I'm really speaking about you because so much about who we are is bound up in our narratives. And so we started traveling and on our first uh, trip to the States, 
Mm. I think it was the third or the fifth stop. Mm. We um, met a precious couple who are still uh, very good friends of ours. And um, I made a friend, Tito Vitoli, and he kind of walked with me, discussed these ideas. And I think what touched him in our ministry is the idea that God is not behind the violence and God is not behind, doesn't have this obsession to to punish. Mm -hmm. And he introduced me to René Girard. He said, you've got to read this guy. And um, I ignored him for six months. We came past their place again and we went for long walks and he tried to explain to me that this gives you the academic, the intellectual, the anthropological, all these backgrounds to what you're saying. And so eventually I picked up one of his books. um, And at that stage, we were invited to do a cruise. I think Mm. it was called the religious. Oh, no, that was the imagine. Was that with Crowder and and, uh, Baxter? It, not this, that this one. This was quite a few years this ago. This one was with um, Just, uh, Bill Vanderbilt. Oh, Vander yeah, Bull. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, I'm trying to think of all the people involved. But in one of those journeys, um, maybe I'll give you a quick background to this Please. book. So, so Gerard, his idea, which is known as mimetic theory, um to give a very quick overview, it is the human story. How did humans develop to become what they are? And one of his great insights, you know, when when he wrote his first book, it was very popular to blame religion for violence. Mm. And Gerard made this amazing statement that religion doesn't cause violence. Violence causes religion. Wow. In other words, violence is more fundamental to human development, to the way in which we evolved than um, religion itself. Very often we think that rational beings kind of invented religion. But he, he showed within the development of humanity things that we can even see amongst the great apes now, where they would, in a time of crisis, choose a scapegoat and as a place where they can just have a cathartic release of all their frustrations, cast him out, tear him apart, etc. And so Gerard started developing this idea of how the scapegoating mechanism is at the very foundation of our societies, our religion, etc. Um, it's a it's a massive story, but I wanted to bring out just that aspect of it because to link it to the story of our cruise. Now, one of the things that he then shows is how sacrifice or sacred violence developed from this place where we're community in crisis, you know, where all the normal boundaries are broken down and it's a crisis of undifferentiation um, where nothing has meaning anymore because all the boundaries are, are broken down. 
that they would, instead of everyone killing everyone, a new solution to violence was found. And that is, in, instead of that uncontrolled violence, let's control it and let's, let's all agree that we'll only kill the one, the scapegoat. And that cathartic release of their frustration has such a magical effect of peace on a community that's about to be made extinct. And there were probably many, many tribes and communities throughout history who went extinct because violence just ran out of control. But religion becomes the means by which violence can be controlled through sacrifice. Because when this community faces that same problem a few months down the line, they remember what solved the problem the first time. We should not all kill one another. Let's find a scapegoat. Let's find a sacrifice. And so it's an event that has incredible significance in the formation of what makes us human, because this is a death that brings life to the community. It's uh, a new order that comes out of the chaos that preceded it. It is, it is also a moment in which, you know, when a mob is in a frenzy of anger and, and violence, they are not led by rationality. They are led by their passions. Even today, if people go to a football game and suddenly a crowd goes crazy. You mean, you mean soccer, right? Soccer, that's it. <laughs> just checking, <laughs> just clarifying. And afterwards, they can ask the people who, who were involved in this violence, what happened? And I don't know, there's a spirit that came over me. You see, in those situations of mob violence, it's not rationality that leads us, it, it's passion. But within the scapegoating mechanism, when the body of our victim lies before this primitive community, it is also a profound moment in which the, the uncontrolled passion suddenly makes way for a focused wonder as to what does this mean? What just happened? And maybe that is the first time where the lamb slain from the foundation of the world makes an appeal to human consciousness. Mm. Well, let me say it another way. Maybe that is the first opportunity for us to recognize the innocence of our victims. Wow. Now that process continues to develop rituals are born from that religion is born from that and then in a twist that nobody saw coming in Gerard's narrative he comes to the biblical story and starts showing how scriptures subverts the meaning of those myths to the place where Jesus can say I've come to reveal things hidden since the foundation of the world, the very foundations upon which your culture, your religion is based, I'm going to expose it by taking you back to that event. You see, wow. what gave birth to our ideas of 
who God is, who we are of the sacred. If it was this violent event, no wonder we invented gods who are wrathful. Mm -hmm. We invented gods who demand sacrifice because standing before our victim, we don't want to acknowledge that we did it. We'd rather say justice demanded his death. Somehow this victim deserved it. And I was just a willing instrument in the hand wow. of a higher power. And oh, so because we don't want we, we don't want to take blame, right? Yeah. <laughs> Deflect it. And the, isn't it amazing how the you know the the um the people that God hates are actually the people that we hate. <laughs> you know how we how we how we project our an image onto God yeah. that um, was never there. Yeah. I just saw a T-shirt that said "God loves the people we hate." <laughs> <laughs> nice there we one. Go. <laughs> and that that idea is introduced by Jesus because you see in the in the first iteration of how we we tell the story. Victims are guilty, and the community is innocent. If you read whatever literature is available to the time of Jesus, they might mention people, a city that was wiped out, the town that was, uh, there was genocide, but they never considered the fact that those people might actually be innocent, even if they say they weren't really guilty of the crime they were blamed for, yet who knows? They were guilty of something, so they deserved it. If you, if you were a victim, it's because the gods ordained it. But Jesus introduces this new idea that the victim might be innocent, and that completely transforms the meaning of the symbol of this founding death. So that our communities no longer has to be based or founded upon a tomb, because that's how we make community. We come together because of who we against. We come together because of who we exclude. We are a unit because of the single victim whose tomb is at the foundation of our culture. So Jesus completely overturns that symbolism because on the cross we discover God's not the one who justifies our violence. He's the one who suffers it. And But that's not what we hear. We, is, but we, we hear the opposite. No. We say God in put, put on the violence. God is the violent one. He had to have blood. Yeah. I still hear it today. He's like, oh, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. God's, you know, God set up the system. And, and that interpretation of the gospel is as ancient as humanity itself. It is no different from any other pagan message that says we have a God that justifies our violence, that demands violence, a God that's very much just a projection of our own confusion. But Jesus is this pivotal point in history that gives us an opportunity to, to completely reinterpret what it means to be human, yes. what, it mean, what God means, what religion means, so that our, a whole new creation, a whole new culture can be founded on an empty tomb instead of the tomb of our victims. Mm. Uh, the tomb of 
our surrogate victim that has risen and declared forgiveness, that is the basis of a new way of being human. So um, that in a nutshell takes one little strand out of Gerard's ideas mm. to just give a taste of its implications theologically. Now to bring the story back to this cruise we did. <laughs> I took a long journey. That's fine. Take there. your time. This is but really good. I was um, at that stage starting to grasp the significance of this total subversion of sacrifice. And I remember we stopped at, can you remember that island? It was some mm. kind of Caribbean island where there were still these temples on which they, um, you know, sacrificed mm -hmm. humans. It's one of those islands. And, and as we stopped there, I actually read a myth that... It was a man myth that, that was um, originated within that culture. A myth in which, as all myths, um, has blind spots in which we justify ourselves, we blame our victim, and God is the one who sanctions our whole story. And so with touring that, uh, that island, I found the courage to, for the first time, give this perspective of the gospel. And the results was amazing. I, I remember there was a lady who was a missionary for like 40 or 50 years. She was a pastor for missionaries. And just the release of, I can fully trust my Abba, because there was always this little idea of, yes, God loves you. Yeah, tiptoe around God. Yes, mm -hmm. he's still quite fond of his punishment. Um, and I think much of eschatology, even today, is like that. That, you know, in Jesus, God gave us a little opportunity. He said, okay, I can maybe forgive you, but watch out. If you don't repent in time, I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. And then. <laughs> it's like the cops thing. It's, bad boy, bad boy. What you going to do when they're coming absolutely. for you? <laughs> And so, yeah, that, that's a quick introduction into the theological implications of mimetic theory. There's much, our school, Mimesis Academy, there's actually two six-month courses. The, the first course looks at how it transforms our narrative. So, you know, all of us, we develop our own personal stories within the context of a larger narrative. And for most Christians, the Bible, or shall I say their interpretation of the Bible, provides the larger narrative. And so with mimetic theory, we provide a different way of interpreting Scripture, a different meta-narrative, and therefore a different way in which we can construct our own stories. Um, and then the second program begins with a, a month of a meditative Silent course. Practice. Actually, this is a cool story how we got into that because it happens when we happened when we met uh, Mike just yes. in that same trip. Yeah. You want to? So so yeah we I had a kind of secret desire to um 
to just delve deep. I mean, we've had so many experiences in our lives where we have um, obviously, you know, used meditation in, you know, in various ways or um, deepened that relationship of silence or had these moments, these experiences that were here and there of this bliss and um, awareness and I really desired to to develop a practice that um, that I could just really sink in to mm. the beauty of the silent practice you know as so many of the mystics have said the language of God is silence <laughs> mm. and um, and all else is is interpretation and how so it happened in Canada that we were we arrived and um, it was it actually somebody else had organized the meetings. We hadn't met them and um, they'd arranged accommodation. And, and we, long story short, we eventually met this, this beautiful couple and they fetched us from the airport and we were driving in the car and they uh, we were chatting. I was finding out, you know, what she does. And um, she said, you know, I've, I've been teaching the silent practice and, um, and, and leading people and leading my church in it. And I, I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and in speaking to her, she, she took us through a week of this beautiful uh, practice. Um, she was practicing centering prayer. And, um, and really it's that 20 minutes of quiet in your day where instead of just focusing on the usual narrative that we are busy with, um, it is that sinking into the beauty of this encounter with God that is beyond words, mm. beyond thoughts, mm. beyond even consciousness itself. Yeah. And, you know, because our thoughts become such a uh, whirlwind. Um, no. Going. <laughs> and so a way in which we can quieten the noise and what we found so beneficial about it in the school as well is, you know, beginning in that way just really helps people to, to begin with this beautiful and to create the habits. Yeah, to, to form a habit of, yeah. you know, rather than it just being because often the easiest things to do are the most difficult because we don't value it as much. Mm. And um, so it's, you know, helping people to value this beautiful practice of quiet and yeah. And then what emerges out of it, because if our words are not connected to the depth of that silence, then they tend to just be flitty and up there. Mm. But when our words are connected to this, this encounter, into this place of abiding, mm. then we find they naturally flow into, mm. into beautiful meaning that we, yeah. we haven't even considered before. So actually, well, that, 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 go for it, Mark. Well, you said it's something you'd never considered before. What would you say to individuals who love Jesus? It kind of tweaked an interest in contemplation or meditation, but when you use words like uh, centering prayer, I've heard the word soaking, I've heard all kinds of words, and some terms throw off people, just turn right off, because they're associated mm -hmm. to people that are either too cuckoo 
as in they they're they're just not real to anyone else. They're in their own little bubble. And how would you address that? How would you invite people to consider this? Like you said, it's something you never considered. How would you invite someone to consider the importance of this contemplation meditation type thing? Yeah, and I think you're right that, you know, and that's why we've tried as much as possible to stay away from the labels, you know, Mm. because in some circles, you just mention the word meditate and the the, the shackles go up. (laughs) And, um, you know, I just take it back to to Jesus, you know, telling us to go into your room, close Mm. the door and be with your father. In the quiet, and I mean, he wasn't talking about a physical place of going, I don't think at that stage he had a home, (laughs) but, you know, he was speaking about actually finding a place, and he often used to draw aside to be alone, to, Mm -hmm. and it, it wasn't, he wasn't doing it to get something, he wasn't doing it to achieve, right, or, or, you know, he was because often that that is another response that people will have. Well, why don't I? Why do I need to do something else too? Well, no, this is exactly the opposite. Yeah. This whole opposite. The whole practice is based on the canonic love of Jesus, mm. in which He emptied Himself. So, mm. if you look at Philippians two, um, you know, instead of He speaks about having this mind in you that was also in Christ. They didn't consider equality with God or this divine privilege as something to cling on to or mm. grasp at, but instead he empties himself. Mm-hmm. And the first emptying we see him doing is he just grabs the disciples' feet and he lavishes mm-hmm. his servant heart onto them, mm. you know, and and so in in the in the biggest sense for us, this is. This is really such a beautiful fruit of that mm. canonic love of mm-hmm. um, not continually and, and in, in mimetic theory as well, you know, um, it's so beautiful that we look at the pictures and we, we delve into G- the Genesis story as well. And here in Genesis, we see man who is grasping after, you know, the, mm. the nature of God out of a lack of being. Um, with this whispering voice saying, well, you know, you aren't quite, and, and God's withholding this from you because he doesn't want you to have it. And we've got that picture. And then in, in Philippians 2, we've got the absolute inverse of mm. that, where we're no longer clinging yeah. to, holding on to, grasping after, but we are. I think you're talking us- about rest, aren't you? Let's go. Yes. <laughs> We're going to come back to this if we can in the next, uh, uh, in the next uh, uh, session. Um, but I love what you just shared and we're going to wrap this one up and then we'll, we'll do one more. Uh, Cause I think this is, this is a bigger story than we even thought we were ready for. And I hope those watching at hope fellowship, those who will watch it later, those who are going to watch us on still growing grace. Um, there's something here about less is more. Uh, something about being versus trying is becoming really evident and we're so freaking busy in the West. It's crazy. So thank you. All right. Thank you so much. We'll come back and uh, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll stop the recording now and then we'll get into part two. All righty. I hope you enjoyed that. That was just part one. I know part two is amazing as well. Um, 
I want to just say something about the end there as, as they got into uh, um, the uh, kenosis of Jesus, the, where he emptied himself. Um, I think there's something to learn for us in our culture today. Uh, given COVID, given, and I, uh, I keep bringing this up, but it's driving me nuts. This idea of fighting for rights uh, that were being taken over or all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's bull. I just don't think it's true. I don't think our rights are being tramped on. I think uh, you can see it that way and that's fine, but I don't think it's an objective truth. I think there's an authentic desire to have uh, people healthy and whole, um, whether it's through vaccines or better eating or whatever it is. But this, what we just talked about is about the soul and the idea of, I, I like how they're bringing things around the end there to more of a contemplation time, meditation time, prayer time. In church, we would have called it prayer time. You need to spend quiet time with God. And if you're a real saint, you have your quiet time first thing in the morning, like, like 3 a.m. The more saintly you are, the earlier in the morning it is. That's kind of kind of what we're led to believe. And then you have to time it, you know, how to pray for an hour, how to, all this, all this how-to stuff. When really it's about knowing you are loved and knowing who God really is, that he's, that he's not angry with you. That's really cool. But I love the line when she, when she was talking about the emptying himself. He didn't, uh, Jesus didn't, um, want to be acknowledged as equal to God. Like he didn't, it wasn't something to attain. And yet I hear in, in the world of growing in grace, um, this idea that we are gods and it drives me nuts. It says, I am God. You are God, blah, blah, blah. No, we are not God. Uh, Jesus didn't even say it like that. So maybe be a little more like Jesus and humble, because if we start saying that, I, I think it comes from a, a sense of wanting to be more more right and show that, hey, I'm growing. I know more than you. You wouldn't really say I know more than you, but there could be an attitude of, um, you know, the, the snooty spirituality uh, of uh, the elite club. And that's that's happening. And I it's driving me nuts. Um, if, if you're going to grow in grace, you're going to grow more humble, not more proud. You're not going to correct everybody. I've done that. I've corrected people. I've, uh, I've had to go back and apologize to some people because um, they weren't expressing or, or speaking of uh, grace correctly. And I didn't realize I was, I was becoming a gracealist because I thought they were legalists. And so I was judging. Oh, there's that word, judging again. Um, Richard Murray put a post up the other day. Uh, it's not about how we judge. It's the fact that we are judging. And uh, I put a comment under that post, something like that. Anyway, I put a comment under that post that judging and unforgiveness are married. And I thought, whoa, that's, uh, that's kind of big. Maybe we'll come back and maybe we'll have a conversation on what judgment is and shouldn't be and blah, blah, blah. But if we stop judging one another for other people's level of spirituality... Where are they going to go when they die? None of your business. <laughs> like, it's, I can't believe how control freakish our, our thoughts are in the religious world. And I love how they shared that um, violence birthed religion, not religion birthed violence. And I thought, wow, that's a profound way to see it. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. I sure did. Thank you for those that are watching in. Um, yeah, exactly, Joy. This is worth listening to again. Um, I'm, I hear something different the second time. 
a third time. <laughs> like, even though I, when I interviewed them, it was great, great conversation, but sometimes your mind is focused on content and it's good. But then when I rewatched, uh, when we shared with Hope Fellowship, it was good. And today, oh my goodness, it was good. So maybe God's just moving us along in different ways and then we hear something different each time uh, that's right for our soul at the moment. And that's a pretty contemplative way to receive grace and truth. So let me encourage you to uh, uh, take your eyes off other people, <laughs> uh, their opinions. I, am learn I have to learn that too. And uh, put your eyes on Jesus and just be loving to whoever God puts in front of you at any given moment, whether it's in the drive through whether it's at the grocery store, corner store, gas station, uh, walking down the street, whoever God has in front of you, express the light of Christ. Like Winnie, uh, Marianne uh, Minnie uh, was saying there, this is probably what Jesus did. It's It's got the potential to create with words because they're pure born of spirit in the unseen realm. I agree. Now, I'm starting to understand this um, um, that we are create co-creators. Now, if you think overthink it fast, which I tend to do, it sounds weird. It just does, especially in the church world I come from. It's like, now, what do you mean co-creators? But when you realize that Christ has put the gift of creation within each of us, um, we can create light in how we speak to one another. We can create darkness how we speak and treat one another. There's creation going on. We're co-creators. But the, the creation that comes from the Spirit of Christ in us will always be light. Anything that of a, an ego attempt will be darkness. It can come out in how we, how we love one another, really. So I thought, I'm, I'm starting to see that now. Like I, I still don't like the wording, but that's okay. I will get over it. <laughs> um, terminology does matter because it's a language. Language always changes. And uh, we got to remember that. So anyway, I hope that was great. Uh, uh, I enjoyed that. And uh, thanks for chiming in. Hey, Mike Gordon, I see you there. Very, very cool. We'll get uh, part two underway next week. Uh, I'm recording with Richard and uh, Bill Thrasher on Friday. And we'll have something in two weeks from them. And it's really good. So uh, stay tuned. And stay tuned. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uh, connect with a few people. I, I want to have a special conference at the end of November uh, or first week of December on healing life's hurts through understanding forgiveness. And uh, Andre Rabe uh, is going to be one of the speakers. Um, and uh, I have a couple of the people I'm reaching out to. So I need to get confirmation of guests and then we'll pick the date that works and uh, it'll be an online event. And I think you guys will love it. So, uh, and we'll go from there. That's it. You guys have a great day and uh, we will catch you later. Thank you so much for watching and joining us today uh, on Still Growing Grace. See you next time. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.